leading multi-platform storytelling. Welcome to another StoryLabs podcast. For more info, go to storylabs.us. Okay. There we are. That's what I was trying to do. Look at the mobile ecosystem, gatekeepers, apps, marketing movies, marketing apps, case studies, cost development. Okay. A little slide through this in a sort of general way. Um, I'm going to talk about apps in a really broad perspective, but we all know apps are short for applications, and we're really talking about those little bits of code that sit on our mobile devices, and when I say mobile, I'm including tablets in these as well, so phones and tablets that sit on those devices and that we all interact with. <clears throat> and one of the reasons why they become so important is that 9% more time, as you can see now, is spent in apps than on the web, PC and mobile, and these are the fig figures that show you the growth of that over time. Now, one of the things that a couple of years ago, there was a really interesting article. Can I get a glass of water, Gary? Um, a really interesting article in Wired magazine that said, the World Wide Web is dead, long live the internet. And what it was really saying was that the concept of the browser as the thing that becomes our gateway into that wide internet world is changing. And instead of it actually being the browser by which we step into the world, we're starting to step into that world via apps, via these, thanks, via these small little pieces of code that do one job and do that one job really well. And what we're actually seeing is, is the truth of that coming up with now we're spending more time in apps than we are on the web. And it's interesting that on mobile phones, we spend less than 40%, we spend about less than 10% of our time on mobile phones engaging with the browser on them. We spend more time on tablets engaging with the browser because they're bigger. But when you think about what you do when you're on a fixed computer with a dedicated keyboard, you spend a lot more time on the browser. So what we're saying is apps are actually moving us away from the browser into this dedicated area, and we're starting to see that go back into basically computer services too. There's little apps that a lot of us, you know, a lot of people here probably use TweetDeck. That's an app that actually runs on your computer. So a lot of us are starting to see apps moving into what we think of the fixed world. So apps are really quite an important thing. And they're also important because it's where we spend time. This is a global view of where audiences are spending their media consumption time. And what you see is that, uh, is that globally, we're still spending, we're, they're spending about 140 minutes on computers, 117 minutes on mobile phones, and 98 minutes on television. That pattern isn't true in Australia. We, like always, are a bit more addicted to our television than we are to other things. But interestingly, there's one device we're more addicted to than anyone else in the world, and that's a mobile device. We actually consume more media on mobile phones than we do on any other device, including television. So we are an absolute mobile heavy industry. That's all country, that's what we like to do. And we're also very dedicated to our iPhones. We really love our iPhones. There are lots of players out there, and this is, to give you an idea, all of these mobile operating systems are current, right? So the, I haven't got the iPhone 5 in there, but at the time of the iPhone 4S, this was what was happening in that space. We had, we've got iOS, we've got Windows, we've got Android, we've got BlackBerry still, we've got Symbian, it's dying but not dead. We've got WebOS, I've never heard of it. I've got Barter, was made by Samsung. Why, when they run Android phones and Windows phones as well. We've got Mego, which was Nokia's last gasp before they gave into Microsoft. And you've got GridOS, which I've never seen before, but it's a really nice looking phone. Um, so you look at that and you go, this is horrible. Uh, there is a clear leader. These are the stats in Australia for the last 12 months about our browsers. Have a look there and what you see is an absolute clear lead of iOS, iOS being the operating system that runs on iPhones, iPads, iPod touches, iPad minis, basically the Apple environment is referred to as iOS. And Android, of course, runs across a whole bunch and a whole range of different handsets and is dramatically smaller. And you can see there's Symbian OS, which was this. If you want, those are the old Nokia phones that were still hanging around the Australian market. Um, what's interesting is I'll now show you what's happened in three months, right? So this is the last three months, not the last 12 months. 
what you actually see there is Android is crept up on, on iOS quite dramatically in that it's now coming up to half of the, the, size, the market size of iOS, bigger, but not what it is in the rest of the world. Windows Phone has overtaken Symbian OS, so there's more Windows phones out there. So we expect to see this change. In America, the battle at the moment is going back and forth between one month it'll be Android, then Apple will bring out a new handset, everybody will wait a bit, go and buy it, and there'll be more Apple phones than there are. Right now, there's more iOS phones than Android phones on the last survey. Right? Uh, the survey before that, there was more Android than Apple. So just expect this to change. But in Europe, fairly classically, what you're seeing is a little more Android penetration than you are Apple penetration. The world will come down to Apple, iOS, and Android. And there may be a few other players of which probably Windows, phone, Windows Mobile will be the one that comes up. Um, I don't know that it'll actually be a three-horse race. I think it'll be a two-horse race with a, with, a me, with an also-ran, and Windows will be the also-ran. That said, um, I love the operating system. I'm running Windows myself. It's my, it's my preferred operating system. But, of course, you can see I, I run all the rest of them as well. So, yeah. <coughs> so when you start thinking about mobile, the first thing you think about is which handset am I going to use? You know, what am, what am I going to talk to? How much development have I got? iOS is going to give me a whole lot of volume. Android's going to really add reach to that and let me access a whole lot more people. And would a web app be enough? Now, a web app is basically building what is a, the equivalent of a web page. Remember these little browser things, these things that run through the World Wide Web? Building it in HTML, or we like to say these days HTML5, which just really means HTML. Uh, and we build something like that and we put a little wrapper and we put it on people's handsets so that in reality what they're using is the equivalent of web code, but it looks like a bit like an app, it feels like an app and they've got an icon. And for almost everybody, it's that icon that's the most important thing. If you can't get your icon on somebody's screen, well, you're nobody. Um, so you've got to think about sometimes a web app is enough, particularly because if you build a web app, you probably have also built a web environment for people who are on computers as well. So you also have suddenly moved out of this iOS, Android dichotomy into all of the handsets that are out there. Other things to consider when you're thinking about going mobile, what's my financial model? And, and, and it's often based on the, why am I doing this anyway? Um, the options really are free, I'm going to give it away, or freemium, I'm going to give it away, and then I'm going to let them pay me for something they like in it. Paid, I'm going to get them to pay for my app, or what we like to say now is premium, which is I'm going to get them to pay for my app, and I'm going to get them to pay me more to do things in the app. Uh, that paying things within the app, so when people choose to unlock a level or, or save their settings or have a richer experience or download the film and own it, is done through something we call an in-app purchase. And you'll see me refer to it in here as an IAP. So an IAP means a purchase that you make within the application environment. Um, we often think about push notifications because if, if you can go and tap somebody in the shoulder and go, excuse me, can you come back, can you come back and play with me? You've gone away for a bit too long. Push notifications are great at trying to re-engage your audience. They're also the worst form of spam that can come up. Um, you've got to think about your depth of social media inclusion in that social media is great, but sometimes it's not relevant and sometimes it's just a bit too hard to be spamming your friends the whole time about getting them to join in with you. Um, and one of the other things to really consider when you start stepping into apps is analytics. And I think not a lot of us, uh, too many people build apps without looking at what happens. What do people do in those apps? What are they tracking? Why are they tracking that? What are the outcomes? And what are they going to do with what they learn? Because you've got to think of the first foray into mobile is rarely successful. But if you've put in good analytics, you'll learn what was successful and be able to then reproduce that the next time round. So things to consider in apps is about the learning that you'll go in. But one of the things that doesn't help at all is this whole thing about the, iOS, the app stores. iOS has the app store, that's its logo. Windows has Marketplace, that's its logo. You can only buy apps for your iOS device, for your iPhone or iPad, from the App Store, which lives within iTunes or lives as a, as a little icon on your devices. 
That's it. There's a gatekeeper. Um, Windows, you can only buy apps from Marketplace. That's it. It's a gatekeeper. They're going to license other places, but right now it's always Windows Marketplace. Android, you can buy apps from Google Play, and that's the big one. Or you can buy them from one of 120 other stores. Or you can buy them from the handset manufacturer. Or you can buy them from the telco. And that nice little thing down there from App Store comes from Optus. So the thing about Android is that while you've got a lot of flexibility in different stores out there, there's a lot of confusion because you're going to have these stores pushing information at you and there are gatekeepers on some of those stores and not on others. So when we start talking about gatekeepers, let's have a look at what that really means. The benefits of Android as an environment, really, and developing that, okay, it's less than, it's about 30% of the Australian market. It's probably about 30% of the mobile use that goes on. In, in Europe, it's about 50% of the mobile use. So if you're going planning a service that's going to be out in Europe, you've got to think about Android. There are multiple stores and some have gatekeepers. That makes it confusing. The apps can be delivered from your site, which is really good because if you've created a great, compelling web destination for your film, you can actually put a link to your app on that site and people can download it from there. They do not have to go to any one of those stores. So suddenly you've got consumers staying with you in that relationship with you. The environment of Android is a lot less one-click than it really is with Apple in that most of us don't use Android for where we buy our music. We don't go there to get movies. We don't go there to get TV shows. We don't have that ongoing relationship with them. So in most cases, we actually haven't bothered registering our details. Um, I'm going to make this app, this uh, presentation available so you'll get all these, this stuff afterwards anyway. Um, so because of that lack of one-click, if you suddenly decide you want to buy something, you've got to go and find your credit card. And that is the biggest resistance factor to getting people to do anything is the minute they have to go into their wallet and get out the credit card. Not because they're not willing to pay, but because they've got to find their credit card and that's a very long number on the front of it. So one click is a really quite important consideration. Widgets on Android phones, you can have a widget, which is a little active bit of code that sits at the front of the screen and can tell you things. So, for example, imagine if that little, that little widget can tell you how many messages you've got in Facebook that you haven't read lately or how many people have been into your site or seen that, or whether you're still winning in that game you were playing or whether somebody's beaten you. And you can find that out on a widget without having to go into the app. So widgets are little bits of the program that can push themselves to a screen, and they're really quite fun to play with, of getting people to, to kind of like come back and just look at their screen and, and keep that engagement with you. But the problem with Android is that because Android is on Motorola, it's on Samsung, it's on LG, it's on um, oh, HTC, it's on just about every handset, it's on Philips, it's on NEC, Almost everybody who's making handsets, with the exception of Apple and Nokia, has got Android on at least one of their handsets. And that means there are hundreds of resolutions, hundreds of screen sizes, and hundreds of different variants. And, and if I showed you a chart of, of the Android environment, it's kind of scary because there are still people who are running Android 2.2, 2.3 is very big, 3.1 did nothing, 4.1 did nothing, 4.2 has been really big, 4.3 was big, 5.1 did nothing, 6 is okay. Right. So you've got to manage all of those things with these different things. So Android is messy. Uh, and one of the other things I'm going to say, which I'll repeat through this, is make sure you know when you're putting your app up, once you've built your nice little Android app, that you know what name it's being published under. It's important because people often go, well, but isn't it going under my name? I made the film. It's like, well, you haven't registered yourself as a developer, so you have to have a developer account. iOS, there's a single store with a very big, strong gatekeeper. Um, there are stories about just how strong Apple as a gatekeeper is, and, and the story that I really like best is that... Um, uh, I have heard that if you make a TV series and don't make it available to Apple the day after it's been shown on television, then they will buy you from the App Store for 12 months. And apparently they did it to HBO. 
uh, HBO went begging back to them and promised to never, never tread across the, the never, never, never mis misbehave again. But Apple has the power to deny people access to their store in a whole lot of ways. So they're a very active, powerful gatekeeper. The rules change and they appear to be very arbitrary. Right now, Apple really likes books. So if you want to make a really beautiful app that feels a bit like a book because it's got a lot of text in it, Apple will reject it because they want you to make it an iBook, not an app. And when you say, but iBooks won't let me do these things with a text or link out or have people play with this, they'll go, we'll change what you want to do and make it an iBook. Right? So they will reject things on that basis. So you've actually got no choice but to adhere to their rules if you want to play. They have very strict rules around in-app purchase, and the important thing about this is that if you want to get content into an app that you've sold, if it's digital, you have to use Apple's own in-app purchase way. But if it's something that's not digital, you may not use Apple's in-app purchase and have to do the whole thing yourself with an e-commerce system. So there's a whole lot of rules around this. It's very one-click, which makes it really easy to do things, but there is an environment of people out there who know that of the million apps that are on the App Store, more than half a million of them are free. So why should they pay? 99 cents can be a lot of money in comparison to nothing. There's a lot less iOS versions, but now that the iPhone 5 has come out with a different screen ratio, it still works with all the rest of them. It's starting to get a bit more complex. And if Apple's not careful, then they'll actually stop being as easy as they have been. Right now, they're without a doubt the easiest one to work with because their software development kit is, is excellent. It's much better than Android. Their screens are, you know, the, the way that they work it is, is so firm that you know what you're developing. If it works when you're doing the development phase, it'll work on a phone. That's not always true on Android. But in order to get the apps in the App Store under your name, you have to be a developer. To get a developer's account, you know, that's so it's published under your own name. To get a developer's account, you have to have something called a Dunn's number, a Dunn and Bradstreet US number. So you have to go through this process that can take three weeks to get your Dunn's number. And often, in one case with us recently, we had a client who went, but isn't it being published under our developer account? Went off to get a developer account and in the end had to struggle to try and get all of the, the hoops they had to jump through for Apple done in time. So there is a process if you're going to become a publisher to make sure you're ready. Um, it's a crowded space. And so how do you make one app stand out? And this is the really interesting thing. Um, what makes apps work? I think the most beautiful apps, the most elegant apps are simple and clean and really beautiful. There's a great one out at the moment, a great little game called Letterpress. Incredibly engaging multiplayer game that's got the most simple interface with just blocks on it. And it works brilliantly because it's elegant. It's beautiful and simple. People come back to apps which are about engagement, and engagement is about it's really entertaining so I go back to it, or it's really useful so I go back to it. The scary stat, 26% of the apps that people download, they open once. Right? So that's 26% of wasted time on phones because there's 26% of dead icons on there. Right? So if you're going to do something, you have to give them a reason to come back. A one-off experience, and I'll show you a couple of those. It's kind of fun to do once, but why would you bother doing it again? And those will be apps that you'll go to once unless there's something either incredibly entertaining, it's fun, or incredibly useful, it benefits my life. I'm still using an app I've been using, one of the probably first apps I ever downloaded on my iPhone, and it's a great little conversion tool for, for currency, for metric, for all of those sorts of things. And I probably use it, I have, go through spates, I use it for currency when I'm doing that, I use it for other things, but I never delete it because it's so useful to me, it's full of utility. We use apps when they reward us, when they give us satisfaction. And particularly, one of the things about satisfaction is intrinsic. It's not about rewards of getting things. It's not about always about rewards of unlocking a piece of content or being given a trailer that we hadn't seen or, or even being entered into a, a, a draw to see if we're a winner. Satisfaction is an intrinsic thing about how good we feel about what we've achieved. So if you're building a game as part of what you're thinking of, then what you've got to build within that is something that makes people feel good about the success that they've had. And those intrinsic rewards are much stickier and more likely to make people come back to your app because 
working with your app, that satisfaction, it makes them feel good. We like feeling good, so we'll go back to an app. And beyond that, what makes an app work is personalization is a really key thing. The more the app seems to relate to us or involve our world, the better. How responsive it is to what we're doing. And sometimes just some new experience will make us go back and have that experience again. Um, what is this is one of the ones that I really like in terms of playing with personalization, and it's actually really simple. This is from a game called The Heist, which is available on, on most devices now. Um, and this is just what happens when you've been playing this mini game and you've been putting your little puzzles together and you're trying to unlock a vault. And what I've just played is I've just got all of my puzzles in a row. And so having got a bunch of puzzles in a row, this is what happens in there. If you watch the screen. Okay, that's not a phone call. That's a little video that's embedded as part of the game that happens to play at that point in the game. So it looks like a phone call, it feels like a phone call, and in fact, if you hit the speaker button, it will play out through the speakers on there. So some of the areas on the screen are live and work, but in reality, what's playing is a video. Does it make you feel as though Sophia has just rung you to tell you that you've got into the bank vault? Yes. It gives you a sensation that you haven't had from many games. When this first came out, the game sold like wildfire because it delivered an experience that people hadn't had before, a personal experience where you got a phone call from the game. So that's an example of something that you can include that makes people feel involved and it isn't technically difficult to do. Um, one of the things to think of, though, is when you put out your app, the really interesting thing is you're building an app to market your film, but how are you going to market your app? And I'm going to show you lots of examples of things that I think are relative failures in this space because the marketing of your app has got to start first. And that means you're actually doubling your marketing efforts. Not only do you have to think about your P&A and your marketing for your film, you've got to think about your P&A and your marketing for your, for your mobile thing, which is meant to be part of your P&A for your film. So things to think of, and this is basically just a, a checklist from, from, I will say, slightly bitter experience, but you know, it's a checklist from also reading a whole lot of things out there. Work out what your app's meant to do. Do you want to make money out of it or do you just want to promote your film? Is it about raising awareness or is it about cash? Market your app well ahead of launch, right? So what to th think of is start telling people it's coming. Start going through blogs about the fact that you're making an app, the trials and tribulations of what you're doing. Start engaging your audience in those social media ways in the ways that you would do that for anything you're marketing. Control your launch date. When you put it up to the app stores, you can always say what date it is embargoed to. And if you, do, if you put it up for those things, it will control that. And that means that you know that the app has been accepted, so you know when your live date is. And that gives you a period of time to market it when you know the date it's going live because it's been approved. And during that time, you should be actively working the blogger community. You can have on Apple 50 what they call promo codes. And those are codes that allow people to get the app for nothing. Now, the interesting thing is that when you give out promo codes as teasers or give them out to bloggers in order to review that, even while the app is not live in the App Store, a promo code will allow that to be delivered to somebody. So, for example, if I want Gary to do a review of an app that I've done, I can give him a promo code, and even though nobody in the world can download it, Gary can, using that promo code, he can write me a fantastic review and put up some screenshots, and we just agree that Gary won't have that review go live until the day that I unlock it in the App Store. So, important marketing strategies. Make your app simple and distinctive, and we'll have a look at some of those later on. Um, don't get it crowded. And interestingly, something like 60 to 70% of the apps in the App Store, and I'll deal with Apple mainly in this case, 60 to 70% of the apps in the App Store, the logo is either blue or green, right? So if you want to be distinctive, don't go blue or green, right? That's kind of one of the cardinal rules. 
Make the pictures that you include with the app tell the story. So putting up screen... I read this great thing, which is that um, putting up a screenshot of your app when you put the description up in the app store is a bit like making a banner, which is a photo of the website. You know, and you don't make banners, which are pictures of the website people are going to. So why would you give them screenshots of the screens that they're going to see? Give them screenshots, but add something to them. Tell them what they're going to do. Explain how to step through this service. Write a great description. And if, you're, if your service is going to be, or for your game or your film is going to be running in countries in different languages, think about putting it in different languages in different stores and take feedback from users. Always go in there and see what the users are saying about it and take notice of it. The number of times when you see, you know, this, this app's shit, this is broken. And then a week later, somebody else goes, yeah, I've had that problem too. And there'll be a litany for a month of people talking about an area of the app that's broken and it still won't be fixed. And there's no note from anybody going, we're going to fix that or here's the release with it fixed. So really think about what the community is saying to you. Sorry? Yeah. And the keywords. You get to select the categories that your app is in. And those are important. Games is, without a doubt, the most, you know, the, the, the biggest and most crowded category in there. So think about whether you want to list something as a game or whether you want to list it as something else. And the keywords that you use will help you be found both in Google and within the App Store. And what's interesting is App Stores are places of discovery. There are people now who just sit on App Stores and go, what's the top 10? Oh, I haven't got that one. I'll go and get it. And so people are going to App Stores for discovery. So part of the discovery process is through App Stores. Uh, in terms of icons, this is just a kind of a nice little one from a blog. You know, the good, that's a really nice, clean icon. The bad, okay, it's the IKEA logo, you know what it is, and the ugly, you can't read that. You can't see what it's saying. It would be even worse if it had a green background, but it's still bad anyway. Um, and screenshots, this is an example. So you can see here in Spider-Man, they write on the screenshots telling you what you're going to get from the game. In, in the, there's a beautiful one called Pocket, which used to be called um, Read It Later. And in Pocket, what you get is a couple of pictures with a description up the top of what's happening and arrows down into the various areas so that you can see what the buttons on the apps do. And what it does is it basically it's a tutorial, and that tutorial is in the app store. So when you go and have a look at the app, that's what you're seeing. Um, so I'm going to now start looking at apps for movies and give you a little bit of the world according to Jen. Uh, I went and did a search on the on the two hundred the, the two thousand and twelve must see movies. You know the top twenty five movies for two thousand and twelve, and I randomly picked about ten of them. Most of them being fairly genre ones, so science fiction, horror, zombies, etc. Because they generally are the ones which will have apps and have an audience. We're still struggling with apps in rom coms and things like that, and I think the Sapphires is an example of that. Um, and of the ones that I looked at, more than ninety percent of them had an app or at least one. In some cases, they had four. I found that confusing. And they went from this, uh, a really nice second string companion app with, with Prometheus, which I gather you've heard about. Lots and lots of games. A clever little iBook for Frank and Wiener. Um, and, and I found an augmented reality app. I found an augmented sound only app. That was for The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, and I found an augmented book. So I found lots of things in there related to films. And so these are ones that, to me, have all got a bit of a problem. Iron Sky. Now, I've paused it there. So far, you're excited, right? So far, it looks really good. Okay, now, tell me, what does this remind you of? Basically, what you get is an updated version of Space Invaders, right? What did the audience think of this, right? 
Really? You give us a crappy Space Invader clone and put the name Iron Sky in the fucking box? How unimaginative and insulting at the same time. This is what the users think of it. Right, so you have a look there. It's had 25 reviews with an average rating of 2.8. It's a really nice version of Space Invaders. If you like Space Invaders and miss it, download Iron Sky. It's great. If you want something that links to the movie, forget it. Tenuous, right? Frankenwinner. I thought, Frankenwinner, that's really good. I've got a freebie to go and see the film. I really want to go and see it. I'm going to go and click on the Frankenwinner app. So this is, this is me. I'm on the web. I've got this whole thing. And you know how it says view in iTunes? So I went and clicked on the button of, you know, launch the application of view on iTunes. And you know what I got? <coughs> the item you requested is not currently available in Australia. So I had to go to the American store to download a movie that's on release here in Australia. Now, I think that's a bit of a fail. Um, World War Zombies. I kind of like this one. But the last time it was updated, it was in November 2011. So it's more than a year old. It's had 20 ratings and three reviews. So I don't really call that deep engagement. Hunger Games. Okay, people like this. But it was just crowded. Which one of these is the official Hunger Games? Actually, all of them are. And they're from four different developers because they licensed their product out to just about everybody that they could. And if you're a Hunger Games fan, there's a lot out there. But it's a very crowded and, and difficult space to work with. You can also see there, it's topping in at purchases. So they're going to give you all of these free games to download and they're going to take money off you for a whole variety of things and they're all your options in there. So it's interesting, this one did rate well. Um, and uh, some games that I really like, The Hunger Games Adventure and, um, and the, the Spider-Man ones are the only two that I actually think are particularly successful. Yeah. So they're the two that have actually got good ratings. And this one, of the that was Girl on Fire, but The Hunger Games Adventure is better. The thing about those ones is they're both built by major game studios. So they're, they're, all, they're both million-dollar type games. And so the Spider-Man one has got fantastic reviews, but it was from Gameloft. And you have a look at the quality of it, and you're talking about somewhere between 5 and $10 million for building that. And it worked really well, but it's because it's a Spider-Man game. It's not really linked to the film. Um, Prometheus. I loved the idea of this. I thought it was really, really nice. Uh, you could enter the archive, uh, you know, all of those things. I've heard, gather you've talked about it. And the thing I found that, to me, two things I found really hard. One of them... Because it's over 500 meg, I can't download it unless I'm on a Wi-Fi network. And to me, half the point of mobile devices is that I don't have to be on a Wi-Fi network. I can be on a mobile network. And yet I can't download this app on a mobile network. That, to me, is an absolute killer. But the other thing when this one came up was this. Um, we've not received enough ratings to display for the current version of it. The average rating for all is there's been six ratings of the Prometheus app. There have been three reviews of the Prometheus app over time. People talk about it. People love it the audience doesn't really seem to give that much of a damn, I've got to tell you, because otherwise they'd be in there rating it. So I think that success is about audience engagement, not really about how clever your app is. You can build an incredibly clever app, but I think you're building apps in order to engage your audience. So your app's marketing... Yeah, I know they do. Yeah, and I, go, I, usually go, I usually go, yes, and I go, this game interrupts me all the time. And there's, there's actually some games that reward you. There's one game where if you go through the game and actually give them a review, they'll unlock gold for you. So I went and reviewed it, and I said, I'm putting this review so that I can unlock my 10 gold pieces. You know, and that was what my review said. You know, I rated it two stars. So, yeah, they do, and that's really intrusive. That's the sort of push notification. But without that, people will go and review things or rate things that they like. So you, you have to think about how often you ask people to, to rate them. But I just think that if, if people are engaged with these, they will go there 
and rate them and review them because they're engaged with it. We do those things and we seek out those things when we're interested. And the fact that Prometheus has only had six ratings and, and two reviews over the whole time the app's been out there just makes me question how, how desirable it is to the audience, how much they're using it. And I don't know what the download numbers on it are, but it just it looks great. I think the whole concept of it is great. I think it shouldn't be over 500 meg, and I'm surprised at how little it seems to have got people's attention on there. Um, so the big thing is if the app is marketing your movie, what's marketing your app? And that's a really critical thing to think about in that. So just some really simple rules about, about app development uh, and what you do in your app. Don't make it too hard, but also don't make it too simple. Do use your own branding. So make sure you tie it tightly into your branding. Ideally, come up with an icon or a logo that's not blue or green. Don't spam your users, particularly not every time they open the game, go and go and rate us. Uh, make sure your app's available where your film's showing. I think it's a real shame that the Frank and Wiener app is only available in the US store. I have downloaded it. Um, make sure your app is smaller than 500 megabytes. Um, it's one of the problems the Sapphire's app had was that it was over 500 meg, so I couldn't download it for about five days until I went and found a Wi-Fi network somewhere. That's a real pain, and sometimes you lose the audience engagement. If you've got to stir them on with a call of action when they've come out of the film or seen your film and want to have a better engagement, make sure they can get it then, because most cinemas don't offer free Wi-Fi that people are connected to, and if that's your biggest marketing tool, they've got to be able to get it over the mobile network. Um, an app has a maximum size of two gigabytes on Apple, uh, and so you can't make it any bigger than two gig. To give you a rough rule of thumb, a one hour of decent video content is one gig. So two gigs is about two hours of decent video content. And given that most films are about an hour and a half, you can usually get a whole film into an app. And I'll show you some examples of that. Um, you, can, you can, once you've got that two gig little app onto their computer, shove more stuff into it. So you can shove another hour and another hour and another hour and make that app get bigger and bigger. But the first packet you put down on them can't be any bigger than two gig. And in terms of registration, the one thing I hate is being forced to register for services. I think most of us have that. And if you do force them down a registration path, always think about giving them a social option, so Facebook or Twitter registration. If you do make it optional, still think about giving them the social path because that's a really important thing to do. Uh, if you're interested in developers, don't not our AMIA, check out the AMIA website for AMIA has a list of mobile developers. SPA has a list of mobile developers as well. The best way to find a good mobile developer is find an app that you really like and see if you can find who built it. See if there's something like what you want and see who those people are. If they're overseas, see if you can find a local partner. It is dramatically easier to work with local developers to where you are so you can have shared brainstorming sessions. What's it going to cost? <clears throat> a simple game on mobile, you will almost never... Yeah, no, I'm not in the office. Um, a simple game on mobile will um, will never you'll never get changed from fifteen thousand. A decent game is going to cost you at least eighty to one hundred twenty thousand. So the very simply simple early versions of things like Fruit Ninja and Jetpack Joyride they run between eighty and one hundred, and then you spend three or four times that making them better as it goes on. A rich transmedia experience you're probably going to be looking at a quarter of a million to a million, and a really immersive shoot 'em up that's a really nice looking game is probably going to cost you in the tens of millions. Same budgets of films. In terms of Tachi, we put out Tachi starting at $20,000. So for $20,000, you can have your own film as an app. It runs up to 120000 roughly, and it really depends on what sort of magic you want under that little magic button. If you want a big, immersive 3D fly-through that updates in real time, it costs you a bit. GTST, the budget on GTST, I won't go into in great detail, but around $180,000 would get you a GTST related to a TV show or a film. We are talking to a film in Australia who's interested in using something like this as a, as a three-month lead into their film to engage the audiences with a game, so it would work for that. The Sapphires app was around the same price, around $180,000 for an app similar to the Sapphires, but the Batman YSO series had a budget of more than $2 million with everything it did because real world costs a lot. So ask these questions first. Why are you thinking of doing something on mobile? 
Are you doing it for money or are you doing it for audience? What's the driver? Understand what your audience might want. And, and the, 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 sorry, understand what your audience wants because does your audience want to engage with one of the characters or do they want the story or do they just want to play in your world or do they want to know more or do they want to become part of the character set or do they want an adventure? Because I often look at the apps and I go, okay, it's got your branding on it, but what does it do for, for that movie? What is it, what's the link? What's the relationship with it? Your audience is more important than you are. Um, and I, the number of people who you work with who kind of like go, but I know what I want to do. It's like, yeah, but your audience doesn't give a damn about that. So why don't you work out what your audience wants because that's likely to be more successful. But determine what success looks like. How many downloads does it mean? How much money? How many referrals? How much tweets? How many Facebook likes? Measure and determine what your successes are so you can measure them and set those as KPIs. Where are your users and what handsets does that mean? Bear in mind that smartphones now are in the hands of six-year-olds. So if you're putting something out that goes at six to nine, smartphones. Right? If you're putting out something that, that, is, that is aimed at the two to five bracket, tablets. Their parents pass the tablets back to them. Go and play with this. Right? So tablet apps, for, for, tablet apps for, for really young kids and smartphone apps for the rest of them. What ties in with your concept? This thing on relevance, which I've kind of been leading to. Um, what tools might that lead to you including? I think AR is kind of good, but it's also kind of gimmicky. You do it once and then you do it again. That, that um, Snow White, okay, it's nice taking a picture. You see it aged, cool. How often am I going to do it? How engaged do I really feel? It was a nice, quirky experience. Is it a right thing to do? And the big thing, if you capture an audience, what can you do with this for the next film? The thing I kind of find is I find so many people who make films who've got Two million people went to see my movie. I've had 20,000 people on my database, you know, and they don't even think about what that means for the next film that they're going to do or what they do with their audience or they don't even try to capture them in the first place. So having not captured them, they can't do anything with them because they don't know who they are. They just know that it was nice that they came and spent their money at the cinema. But I think we have to start thinking about that as one of the critical things for databases is to get the database for marketing purposes to find them. Um, and uh, mobile is your broadest engagement tool. It's one of your richest, but it's crowded out there. So good luck. Thank you. <laughs> Leading multi-platform storytelling. Welcome to another Story Labs podcast. For more info, go to storylabs.us.